Welcome back to the podcast, Unbinding the Bible. This is episode 18, Who Told You That You Were Naked? And in this episode, what I would like to do is to take a close look at the Lord God's response when Adam and Eve first take of the fruit and have their eyes opened, and then how they turn and and hide from the Lord. And I really want to spend some focused attention looking at exactly what happened to all of the relationships that were established perfectly in a good garden, what happened to each of those in turn, and how the Lord in His compassion, grace, and goodness actually deals with the first man and the first woman in this state. And so I'm glad that you're here and ready to dive right in. Let's do it. To begin this week's episode, I thought I would be get back up just a little bit to verse 6 of Genesis 3, the last couple of verses from the reading that I gave in the last episode, just to remind us a bit of the context again and exactly what Genesis 3 tells us has actually happened, and just read a few verses beyond that, and then we'll make some observations. So in, in verse 6 of Genesis 3, it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And I'm going to go ahead and stop right there at the end of verse 11. Now, it's interesting that as I read this passage, um, what we find immediately after Adam and Eve's eyes are opened is in the fact that they see their own nakedness. And to be naked in their own presence or in the presence of other people is to them now no longer considered a good thing. It's no longer considered something that exists in an unashamed state. They are now quite ashamed of their vulnerability, quite ashamed of their nakedness, quite ashamed of their weakness, and they hide. They cover themselves up so that no one can see the vulnerable parts of them. They do not want that anymore. And we looked at that in terms of shame, how we attempt to cover up our own shame. But in verse 8, we now have an encounter with the Lord God, and it's fascinating the way the author of Genesis describes this. It says, when they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So it's almost as if this is a normal occurrence. I mean, we don't know this for an absolute certainty, but it almost seems to imply that prior to the fall, there was a a moment of the day, a moment of every day, perhaps, when the Lord God walked in the garden where Adam and Eve could be in perfect communion, perfect fellowship with him. And he comes about on his regular occurrence walking through the garden. And yet this time, When they hear that sound, 
Hear the presence of the Lord God himself walking in the garden in the cool, refreshing part of the day, the time that he normally would have spent with them, communing with them. The sound of him reminds them that he also comes not just communing with us, but giving us commands, one of which, actually the only one of which, he gave us a prohibition for, we have in fact most recently broken. And so Adam and Eve hide. They hide from the Lord. And I remember years ago listening to a sermon preached um, in my home church by a guest preacher, and the title of his sermon was Lost and Found. And he reminded us of the childhood game that we played with our parents or with our siblings or however, just with our friends in the playground or at a sleepover where we would go hide and somebody would go and seek everyone. And his sermon stuck in my mind forever because he painted God as the constant seeker. God is the one who comes looking for people who are hiding because they're afraid. They're afraid of him. They're afraid of themselves. They're afraid of one another. And God is the only one who truly seeks people. And that's exactly what you see Genesis 3 doing. It it explains this very, very well. And it says, the very first question he asks is, where are you? Now, obviously, um, (laughs) we don't read this like he doesn't know where they are. What he wants Adam and Eve to identify is, where are they? Where are you, Adam? Why are you behind that bush right now, Adam? Why are you behind those trees instead of out here in the cool in the garden walking with me? What he wants is for Adam to be able to respond and to say to God what it is that he's done. And yet, if you read verse 10, Adam doesn't do that. He simply says, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Now, notice that Adam's answer to God's question does not implicate Adam any more than simply to say, I was naked, I didn't like that, and so I hid myself. It doesn't tell us why Adam found himself naked and not being impressed with his own nakedness. He doesn't go there. And so the Lord, being a seeking God once again, and I think this is so important to point out, and and I, I am going to unashamedly and unapologetically present a certain view of the Lord God's response, which um, may or may not satisfy every person who's listening to this podcast. Um, But I have a firm conviction that, again, the simple fact that when the love of God himself was made manifest, was made real, flesh and blood was put to the love of God, that appeared in the person of Jesus Christ. The same person that the two men on the road to Emmaus thought was coming to ultimately bring victory over the Romans and defeating of all of God's enemies. And Jesus flipped that on its head, showing us that the true heart and nature of God is one of compassion, love, kindness, and yet a desire to restore justice and shalom to the world. And with that comes the idea that I do not think reading the Bible with God on the hot seat, needing to defend his actions against those who think he's harsh or cruel, is really the approach we ought to take. In fact, I think it's the enemies um, taunting us or attempting to deceive us into believing that God's character is something other than what it is, 
which has led us to have to read the Bible and then reread it and reread it along with these men on the road to Emmaus with Jesus as our guide to see what have I been reading in the Bible, primarily the Old Testament to begin with, but quite certainly also the New. How have I been reading this book in such a way that shows me anything other than God as good and kind and compassionate and gracious and merciful. And so what I want to point out is that the same Lord God who seeks Adam and Eve while they are hiding begins to probe with questions to invite Adam into relationship with him. And the title of this particular podcast is one of the most profound questions that I see here in Genesis 3, but in quite a few other chapters of the Bible, if I were to add them all up. In response to Adam's statement, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And verse 11 says this, he, God, said, who told you that you were naked? Now, I I know, I can kind of hypothetically imagine something for a second, but imagine if, if you or I were the Lord God. And we were created, we had created all things, we had made a perfectly good, um, complete garden filled with shalom, filled with Sabbath rest, filled with everything functioning and working exactly as it should. We lavish blessings on the first man and the first woman that we create, and we only give one prohibition, and we do it for good reason, because we know that these creatures that we've made simply cannot handle the responsibility of being able to declare what is good and what is evil for the entire world. And we feel a slight when they decide against that, when they grow not to trust that we really have their best interests in mind. And I'm not quite sure how I would respond in the face of someone that I had made not listening to what I had to say. And I think my first thing would be like, what are you doing? What did you do, Adam? And I would want him to own up. I would want him to fess up. And a lot of times, I think people read the Bible or potentially think about God um, in the what category. You know, God gives a lot of laws. He expects them to be obeyed. And it's almost as if God is viewed as the one who brings a swift acts of judgment onto those who do not obey his laws because he is primarily concerned in what people do. But I'd like to challenge that from Genesis 3 by pointing out that before the Lord God ever asks Adam if whether or not he has kept the the law that God had given him, before he asks him the what, what have you done? Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? Before he asks that question, he asks Adam, who told you that you were naked? And the reason why this is so important for you and I to understand is because the Lord God comes to the man seeking relationship. Now we know that the man is hiding. Adam is hiding. Eve's hiding. They are now afraid of relationship. So when they hear the sound of a communing God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, that is no longer a pleasant sound to them because they know somewhere in that relationship, the truth is going to come out and they don't want to face it. But the Lord God comes to man, comes to Adam, comes to Eve in relationship. Who told you that you were naked? 
The Lord God knows that someone, not something, is to blame here. Someone told the man that he was naked. And I think this is absolutely fascinating. The Lord God addresses the who before he addresses the what. Only after he asks Adam who told him that he was naked, does he then ask him if he ate from the tree that he told him not to eat from? Because for the Lord God, everything starts with relationship. The man and the woman's relationship with God has now been damaged because they've entered into relationship with someone else, namely the serpent. And they have chosen to receive their identity from someone else. Instead of granting them the freedom he promised them, though, if they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the serpent gives them shame instead. A shame that has wrecked every one of their perfect, shalom-filled relationships. It's a shame that drives them to hide from themselves, from one another, and now even from the Lord God himself. And so if we go back for just a minute to life in the garden, mankind's very first relationship, very first shalom-filled, perfect, harmonious relationship was with the Lord God himself. Man was made in his image after his likeness, and he was created as the Lord God's representative, as his steward, as his image on earth. And the task given to him um, set up the second relationship that man was to have, his relationship with the creation. And so in Genesis 1, we, we know that he was created to have dominion over the creation on God's behalf, to work it and keep it, as chapter 2 outlined, as God himself would work it and keep it. But man would need a partner to do this well. It is not good for him to be alone. He needs a helper fit for him. Right. And so man's third relationship, shalom-filled, perfect, harmonious relationship within a good garden, is with other human beings. So woman is man's helper, his counterpart, his companion, his co-ruler. And all other human beings are meant to work in relationship, in partnership with each other to rule over God's creation well. And then in the very final verse of life in a good garden, chapter 2, verse 25, we see that mankind's relationship with himself is that fourth and final relationship. His relationship with himself in his naked, vulnerable, exposed state is of no concern to him at all. It says the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And so we get this very personal, intimate, private description of man, and he's unashamed in that state. It's not really a concern to him. He has a perfect and right relationship toward himself and with himself. He thinks of himself last. He's not concerned with the vulnerability he sees when he looks at himself, primarily because he probably isn't really looking at himself in the first place, and he's prepared to act as God's steward for the benefit of God, other people, and the creation. And I point these out one more time, as I've done numerous times, but I point them out one more time because I want everyone to know that what shame has done, what sin has done, what choosing 
to define good and evil for ourselves has done, now that shame has filled our hearts, our first response is self-protection. You know, Adam sees his own nakedness and he hides from God because of it. So all of mankind's relationships now with God, with creation, with others, and with himself that we looked at from Genesis 1 and 2 are now entirely reversed in order of what is now most important to man. And self-protection becomes mankind's number one concern. And I'm just going to stop right there for just a second and talk about this. Self-protection is something that has no place in a good, perfect, harmonious, shalom-filled garden. There is no need to protect oneself because the creation is not at odds with you. The Lord God is not at odds with you. And other human beings are not at odds with you. And yet, as I've pointed out before, and probably will have to continue pointing out, we do not know a world like that. We do not know a world where the creation, every other person, and oftentimes even the Lord God, we feel like we cannot trust what might happen to us in any of those relationships. What will God ask of me? Will it be something that is pleasing to me? Will I want to do what he's calling me to do? Can I trust what other people will say about me when I'm not around? Can I trust what they'll say to me when I am around? Can I trust that if I tell them something special or private about me, that they will keep it to themselves and never use it against me? We aren't really sure. But the reason we aren't is because our number one concern is to make certain that we are protected that we are personally cared for and we firmly believe that the best way to care for the world is when we are first and foremost cared for ourselves. It has dominated mankind's thinking since the beginning. But it's so helpful to walk through Genesis 1 and 2 and realize that of the four relationships that are fundamental to a good creation, our relationship with the Lord God, our relationship with the world around us, with the creation, with the culture that, that we are a part of, in our relationships with other human beings also made in the image of God, and then the status with which we feel comfortable in our own skin of those four relationships and in that order, now that sin has entered the world, our concerns are reversed in that same order. And the biggest problem that I see, and I'll go ahead and read a few verses for you, is uh, from Genesis 3, is just what making ourselves our number one concern, what that actually does to the other three relationships. And what the Lord God now is about to say to Adam, to Eve, and to the serpent is very clearly laying that out for us. And here's what he says, verse 12, I'm sorry, this is Adam speaking, and, and in verse 12, as soon as the Lord God has asked him, has he eaten of the tree of which he commanded him not to eat? Verse 12 says, the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Now, now I'm going to just stop there for just a second. It, this is, it's almost humorous if it wasn't so sad, um, but let, let me just draw your attention to something here. Um, we know that self-protection is Adam's um, main prerogative right now, both because he covers himself with fig leaves and also because he hides 
when he hears the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. He doesn't want to be seen as naked. He doesn't want to own up to the fact that he's done the very thing the Lord God told him not to do. But it's fascinating now because when he asks Adam blankly, remember, after pursuing him in relationship, who told you that you were naked? Who did you get that piece of information from and why are you choosing to believe it in such a shame-filled way? He then turns and says, have you done what I've asked you not to do? Now, nowhere in the Lord God's voice is a, is a voice of condemnation, a tone of condemnation. Adam has no way of knowing anything about what the Lord God will do if Adam owns up to what it is that he's done. But Adam doesn't even take the time to figure it out. Instead, he blames the only other two people in relationship with him who could possibly be at fault. The woman is the one who gave me the fruit and I ate. Oh, and by the way, God, the woman you gave me, the woman you decided that I needed in the garden, so clearly you were wrong, and clearly because you put her there, this is ultimately your fault. And I say this would be funny if it wasn't so sad because this is precisely the way God is, is oftentimes used um, to, uh, for, for us to get out from underneath the weight of facing the reality of the decisions that we choose to make time and time again. Um, I have a friend, I, I think I might have referenced him in a previous episode, who will oftentimes say it feels like a setup. That, that there were two trees in this garden and one of them was just placed there, but we weren't allowed to take from its fruit. And when he asks the question, is this a setup? It seems like God is setting us up. What he seems to be implying is something very similar to what Adam is implying about God in this moment. He seems to be saying to God, this isn't my fault. If you hadn't put the woman here, then she would have never tempted me with the fruit that she ate from what the serpent offered her, and therefore I wouldn't be in this position right now. And it's so subtle, but yet it's real. It's something that affects every single one of us. Lord, if you hadn't called me to this difficult position, I wouldn't have responded the way that I responded. Well, that's fascinating. But how is it that an image bearer created to rule and have stewardship over the creation, cannot take responsibility for his own actions. Well, that's what sin has done. It wants to shove off the blame. And here's Adam now turning against two of the only other three relationships in the perfect garden that he otherwise was, was, was um, intended to uphold, his relationship with God and his relationship with Eve. He turns on them both. Because to Adam, protecting himself is a good thing. Protecting Eve and being concerned with her relationship with him or being concerned with God's relationship with Adam or maybe Adam's relationship with God is no longer considered a good thing, at least not in comparison with protecting himself. And so he blames both God and the woman. The Lord God does not even answer Adam, at least not immediately, but he turns to the woman and says, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. 
Now, what the woman says here is true, and it's funny. I mean, what Adam says is also true. Um, There's nothing deceitful about what Adam says. There's nothing wrong with what Eve says. It's simply that they are not also owning up to their own responsibility. But while Adam turns on the woman, the other people in relationship, and on God, Eve turns on the creation. She blames the serpent. Now, as we read the story, we know this is true. We know that the serpent was was responsible for deceiving her. That is very, very true. So he does deceive her. That's a true statement. But Eve realizes at this time as well that she is not completely complicit in what is happening. But you notice again, Eve's desire to protect herself, Adam's desire to protect himself. In a matter of two verses in Genesis 3, we find out that God other people and the creation are really to blame for why Adam and Eve chose as they did. Things are drastically beginning to fall apart. The perfect world, the order, the fact that Adam and Eve restructured the order of relationships in the garden is what they do when they are given the privilege of deciding between good and evil. It is no longer considered a good thing for them to be concerned primarily with God and his ways over the creation, and then to be secondarily concerned with the other members, the other human beings in that creation and or the creation itself. It is now seen as a good thing for the man and the woman to be primarily concerned with themselves, with protecting themselves with not being seen as guilty in a situation which is clearly their responsibility. And these have ramifications that will work themselves out throughout all human history and are still working themselves out today. And now nothing works as it should. Every relationship has broken down. Every relationship has been corrupted. Every relationship is an uphill battle where trust is not naturally present. It has to be earned. It has to be developed for long periods of time and years and years and years of a trust-filled marriage can be broken in one action of unfaithfulness or one lie that is told which causes questioning from one spouse to the next. Can anything else you say be trusted? This is the world in which we live. Mankind was never meant to be the sole determiner of good and evil. Because the moment he took that role for himself, he opened up the door to have every other relationship redefined. And we have chosen to redefine them in a way that does us harm. And this is the way the Bible tells the story. Next week, we'll look at the rest of Genesis 3 and what the Lord God actually chooses to do in order to show mankind why their decisions were foolish. And yet how even his judgment is an act of mercy and that it will prevent them from going any further down the path of destruction. But that's all the time we have for this week. See you next time. Thank you so much for listening in on another episode of Unbinding the Bible. 
For those of you that are listening in each week, I really appreciate your input and your feedback and your conversations that you've been having with me. Thank you as well to those of you who recommend this podcast to some of your friends or family members when you think they might need to be encouraged by a particular episode or maybe all of them. And thank you as well to those of you who are supporting this podcast on a monthly basis. I really appreciate your support and it goes a long way to um, continue to make more podcasts like this on a weekly basis. Again, I would love to hear from any of you. If you have questions or comments or thoughts that you'd like to share with me, you can email me at unbindingthebible at gmail.com. Until next time, have a great week.